It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. For love is here in Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And right now, as I'm recording this, I'm sitting in our large old farmhouse here in uh, northern Vermont. I think I've mentioned this on, on previous episodes, but but the house that we have here is an old house. It's uh, built in like 1830, 1835-ish. It uh, has underseen a number of renovations over the years, and like a lot of old houses, it faces old house problems, you know? The first year or two that my wife and I owned this place, we spent a lot of time and energy and money trying to rehab it and get it into a livable shape and into a shape where it would be stable and wouldn't be sinking into itself uh, in future years. <laughs> I mean, in fact, you know, the, the, one of the weirdest quirks about this place, right, was so when it was built, like in 1835, it was a, a one-and-a-half-story farmhouse. But uh, the Shaw family in uh, the year, I don't know, 1918, 1919, 1920, somewhere, you know, right around the end of World War One, I, I guess, apparently, um, they actually uh, did a major renovation, and they, they made the house go from one-and-a-half stories to, to two-and-a-half stories. The only problem was when they did that renovation, they never did like all the structural work you're supposed to do, you know, in terms of joists and braces. It's not like they had civil engineers coming out to the place and doing all the calculations and figuring out load-bearing situations and all that good stuff. They just kept building upward from the piled stone foundation that we have down below. And, and, and that's how this place came to be what it is. And the work that they did is beautiful. Like, our home is awesome. I, I, I love it. It's the coolest place I've ever lived. But, like I said, it's got its old house problems. And so, whenever I hear about homesteaders going out there and building their own home, I got to admit that sometimes I get a little wistful. While, while we love what we've got, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And, and I often look at, at some of those projects with admiration. Well, uh, a couple weeks ago, I stumbled across this one project that has just absolutely fascinated me. Don Bradner and his wife Natalie, they live down in northern Virginia, uh, about an hour or so outside of Washington, D.C. And they have been in the process of building their own home. So they found just an awesome property on the top of a mountain, and they are building a house uh, from scratch, really. And, and so I've been watching Don and, and his wife's progress on building this thing, and it's so cool because the type of building that they're doing is just this awesome open canvas that allows Don to actually pick up a hammer and saw and start putting together the interior of the place all himself, even though he's, got, he's a guy who doesn't have a ton of building experience. So I figured it'd be cool to actually sit down and have a conversation with Don and learn about his story and learn about the type of structure he's building because I'm sure there's a lot of you guys out there who are thinking about your own future homesteads. And I got to say, as a guy who is sort of a little ways down this journey, I'm very jealous of some of the things that Don's doing and he's able to do just based on some of the challenges I've found in, in trying to rehab an old place. Not saying I don't love this place, it's just... There's some interesting opportunities that what Don's doing presents itself. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Don Bradner. 
I grew up in a small town in the middle of the cornfields in Ohio, um, about 6,000 people at the time. So I actually lived in town, but I had a lot of friends that grew up on farms. So, you know, getting into homesteading many years down the road wasn't too unfamiliar. But you don't live in Ohio today. You're in, you're in Virginia? Yep. So long story short, I moved to Kentucky to finish out high school and then to Virginia for college. And that's where I met my wife. And so that's where we are now in a roundabout way. And now, like, how far are you guys from, from D.C.? We're pretty close. I can jump on 66 in about eight minutes and be there in about an hour. And, and is that where you guys were, were living the last couple of years and you just sort of moved out of town or you know, what, what was the progression there? Yeah, so we uh, both met at George Mason University in Fairfax, so that's super close to D.C. And uh, we got married my my last year of college, and we actually did a quick uh, trip out to Texas. We lived there for two years while my wife did grad school. We moved back to the area, and that's when I got my first job uh, teaching. I'm a public school teacher. I teach middle school band. And so I taught there for five years in Woodbridge, and... Then we kind of had this opportunity to to move, and so we took it. So, so you say this opportunity. What what exactly was that opportunity? Yeah, so it was a few different things. Um, I'm a band teacher. My wife used to sing opera, and her career was kind of she was doing great. You know, she's a great singer, but it wasn't going anywhere super quick. And a little bit frustrated with the career, and she heard about recording audiobooks and found out a way to get into it really quick and we invested and gutted my closet and made a little booth for her and it worked really well right away and we saw this potential that she would be making decent money really quick and that was also the same time as the height of the real estate market in northern virginia and every single house it seemed like on our on our street was going up for sale and for really good money and we're like wait a second we might be able to catch something here. So my best friend was actually a real estate agent, and we said, hey, what do you think? Should we try this? He's like, yeah, you're going to make some good profit. So we took advantage and um, sold our house and took the profits towards our new place. And at that same time, you know, when we were thinking about it, I'm the kind of guy that's always dreamed of building my own house and having property. And so I had been looking at real estate listings for a good six months. And one of the listings that I looked at, I thought that'd be cool, but she would never go for it. Well, when she was looking for listings, she found it and said, hey, Don, what do you think about this one? I was like, are you kidding me? I looked at that one three months ago and I thought you would have hated it. But um, it had what you could tell was going to be a really beautiful view looking east towards D.C. And uh, it was on top of a small mountain. And, you know, at night we see the planes line up to land at Dulles. And it's just a gorgeous view. And so she loved it for the view. We've always loved the mountains. We honeymooned in the mountains in Europe. And just the idea to get out away from suburbia and get on our own little piece of heaven, you know, with that beautiful view. When we saw the opportunity, we had to jump on it. So so you guys found this little mountain with a beautiful view, but there was no house there, right? It was an old cabin, actually. It was absolutely not livable. And part of what made the property so perfect was the fact that it did have all the utilities on site. So you had your well, your septic, and it had electric hooked up. And 
we thought about saving that cabin, but the cost to save it was just, you know, it's the same cost to build what we just built. So yeah, it, it had everything, had a little cabin and we had to tear that down before we started our new build. And now your new build isn't like a conventional house. I was actually watching a video you just posted about it where, you know, you're showing, you know, the, the construction of it. Describe for folks the, the unconventional nature of the building that you guys are going to be making a home. So it's unconventional because it's not a stick build. And because of that... And when you say stick build, what do you mean? Stick build, I mean, your average house in any in any subdivision is going to be a stick built home with a two by four framing 16 inch on center and you know just look like your typical you know middle class american home in suburbia and kind of cookie cutter if you will and so we really like the idea of kind of having like that barn feel and the cabin in the woods feel and so a post and beam pole barn home uh gives the person building a lot of flexibility the only load-bearing walls are on the outside of the building as a lot of people come to understand and so I could basically say, hey, pole barn company, build this for me, and then I'll do the rest myself. You know, I had dreams of building it myself, but soon my wife convinced me, you're crazy. Let somebody else do it. And uh, so, yeah, we actually had this company put it up, and it was up in nine days with an Amish crew. And that was another benefit. It went up super quick. And so it was right before summer break. You know, I'm a teacher, and I was like, hey, I can get a lot of work done this summer before the school year starts. And so we did. And I can put walls wherever I want and do whatever I want to the inside. The outside is completely dried in and waterproof and all that good stuff. So it's it's unconventional um, also because there's no proper foundation. Um, it's just a slab, four-inch slab over gravel. And what the foundation is really is the post going about five feet deep into the ground. So that gives you your stability and your strength, and that look that bears the weight of the of the roof. Wow, that that that's incredible. And now, you so you haven't had any prior like significant construction experience before, or have you? Not really. I mean, I built decks at a church camp growing up, like just building decks as work projects. And then our townhouse, right when we bought it, when we moved back to Virginia. Um, it had a walkout basement and there's great potential to have a renter down there to help pay the mortgage. So I actually put a kitchenette down there where there wasn't one. So I kind of got my hands dirty and my feet wet doing that. And I guess I'm just not somebody who's afraid to try too much. You know, you get on YouTube and there's a tutorial, bad or good for anything. And you kind of take the good information that's out there and get rid of the bad information and somehow you make it work. Mm, wow. It, it, it's just, I, I will say, I'm, I'm really impressed with the, the structure that you have going there. It just it looks so cool. And to your point about the modularity, about the internal walls and everything, it's 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 pretty impressive. So so talk to me, though, about about the cost of what you're doing versus, say, a conventional stick, conventional stick build. Like, you know, how does it compare? I mean, if you don't mind, like, what, you know, what are you paying ballpark for, for the size that you have? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that that question comes up a lot. And in all the videos I watched researching it, that was the main question. How does it compare? And I will say it's not much cheaper, but it just gives you the ability to do more customization with it. Um, you know, budget's definitely important to us. And I will say that the, the shell of our house, including the slab and getting all the windows in and all that kind of stuff, was right around $52,000. 
And so it's a 32 by 32, just over a thousand square feet. So we built small on purpose because we wanted to build with cash. We did not take out a loan to build. We're not going to take out any loans to finish it. So that was like a big thing. And, you know, if we wanted to do a traditional build, we would have had to do a traditional um, home construction mortgage. And that just, it wasn't going to work. And I wouldn't have been able to do the work on it like I wanted to. I would have had to contract out everything to keep the bank happy with the loan, you know. Mm. No, I, I think that that's a great point. And, and as you went through that process of going from, okay, we've got a site um, and the site has utilities to where you are today, where you have at least your exterior structure built, like, you know, what other significant things did you find that you had to research and, and figure out before you could have the, the pole barn company start putting the structure up? Yeah, there's a lot. The The zone that we're in for our county is actually in a conservation district. And so I have a farther setback from the road than a standard residential area. So I had to be 70 feet off, 75 feet off the road. And we are on kind of a slope, you know, we're on top of a mountain and we're not quite at the very top. So just kind of finding a flat place to put a solid structure was going to be a challenge. And um, just kind of getting the the county to go along with my plan was a little difficult. It took me five weeks to get the plan approved, even with engineer drawings. When I went in there initially, the lady said, yeah, we'll, we'll call you in about 10 days. I was like, really? Sweet. And then five weeks later, after countless phone calls, trying to convince them that, yes, it'll work this way. And I know we don't normally do it that way, but this way will work. I have engineers that say this house will be safe and perfect for our home. So there's some hoops and ladders for that as, as well. But um, I, I think the overall process for building goes about how any process for building a house would go. There's been a lot of challenges, and I'm sure we have a lot more challenges ahead of us as we continue to finish it. Hmm. And, and what do you have in front of you now in terms of that finishing? Yeah, so I'm right now trying to hustle and get as much electrical and plumbing done in the next week or two. Our goal is to get a certificate of occupancy by the first week of November because it's going to get cold up here really quick. And I can't uh, insulate until I pass that final inspection for electrical and plumbing and then, you know, wait for the county to come out and approve it. And then I can insulate. So I've got basically I've got a lot of it done. I got the walls up and I, I even just finished the bathroom so we can go to the bathroom in there. Um, unfortunately, we just lost our hot water tank in the camper. So we're taking cold showers until I can get my my act straight inside the house. So I'm, I'm in a big rush to get as much done as I can um, before the winter. That's that's the big thing. But I think the total like time frame to get the house finished will be about another 12 months. Um, because after I finish the main living area, I'm actually going to build a loft bedroom up above. Um, but that's like totally secondary. We're just trying to get our butts in there. Mm. Now, now, you just slipped in another important detail, I think, of, of the transition you guys have been on. So between the time of, of selling your townhouse to the completion of your, your pole barn house, you guys have been living in a trailer, right? Yep, uh, 27-foot camper, and uh, we did not own that until I said, hey, let's sell our house. <laughs> so I went out and found that, and it was a good deal, but I, I knew that you know, we were just going to live in it for forever, it seemed like, and I don't know how I convinced my wife that it would work. Um, She's been a real trooper about it. And uh, we've got two little girls as well. So family of four. 
you know, I see other larger families on YouTube. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. We don't have four kids. So, uh, yeah, we've been living in a camper for, I guess it's 15 months now. <laughs> so so what, what was that conversation like when you were going to it with this idea of, well, all right, so we're selling the house and so we're going to go live in a trailer for a camper for, you know, a year and a half. Like, like how, how did that conversation go down? Tell me. You know, I mean, I my wife is very adventurous and I... I guess we just caught it on a certain time of her life where she was making that transition between careers and she was just ready for that kind of radical change in her life. And so it was just the perfect timing to be like, Hey, what do you think about this crazy idea? And she's like, it's crazy, but I like it. Um, she's just awesome that way. And you know, a lot of people would be like, there's no way I'm living in a camper. And, um, you know, I think had we known that we'd run into so many trials and tribulations along the way it might have been harder to convince her but we were just ready for change and the excitement of having this new beautiful property uh was enough to get us motivated to make it happen Mm. what's been the craziest thing that you guys have encountered while living in the camper oh gosh well you know we had ice storms last winter and we had trees falling all around us and as soon as i heard that first tree hit the ground i'm like we're running to the hotel so we've had to run to the hotel a couple times and then about a month ago now, we had a horrible storm come through, lightning everywhere. And I was actually able to look it up on a map the next day. We had six lightning strikes within a thousand feet of our property, of our home. And it, that's what happened. It fried a lot of our infrastructure, it fried our internet router, it fried our refrigerator and our water heater. So that was really scary because you could literally feel the static electricity in the air. So, you know, I was looking forward to not having tornadoes on the mountain looking forward to not flooding on the mountain but i didn't think about lightning storms that was <laughs> that was intense yeah no one ever expects lightning now do they <laughs> at all so so as you guys were in this life and saying hey we want to make a change beyond sort of getting away from suburbia what other goals did you guys have for, for the change that you're trying to make Really, a lot of it has to do with money and just financial stability. I'm still working on my college loans, and you know, my wife was really raised to to save money a lot, and we weren't really saving too much money in suburbia because it's so expensive to live there. And um, you know, we, with that opportunity to move somewhere and then build and then do it slowly with cash as it was coming in, and the idea of not being tied down to a mortgage for 30 years is really appealing. I think that's why a lot of people do do the tiny house and do their own builds on homesteads because they just they just want to be in control of their money. Um, so that was really it, the financial stability and uh, yeah, all all about the cash. Mm. What other t- tips do you have for for somebody who's really say in a situation that maybe you were in like ten years, seven, ten years ago, where you were like thinking? All right, we want to create greater financial stability. We don't want to be in debt. Like, what are the, what are the other important things that you'd look to do? Well, um, a lot of people do like the Dave Ramsey stuff, and I never really did. But I I think that my wife has always been great with just saving money. And I think you just need to make sacrifices. And you need to be willing to to not eat out as much as your friends might. And you need to be willing to not be buying new cars and all that kind of stuff. You know, I've I've always bought used cars with cash and just kept them running, you know, watching YouTube videos, figure out how to fix it and, and just move on. And you're not tied to a $30,000 vehicle. Um, so I think it's just living small, um, no matter where you are, you just got to kind of be smart about it and, and think down the road. 
And, uh, you know, I guess that's really all, all there is to it because the more you do that, the more you make that your lifestyle, the more you're going to end up saving up and have freedom later, you know? Mm-hmm. That's that trade-off that I think people are oftentimes like really unwilling to make where it is like, yeah, there is some sacrifice and yeah, there are some things you got to hold back on if you want to try to get that greater freedom down the road. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, a lot of the lifestyle that Americans live, it's all about having things, the material needs. And, and I think we all go through the, that phase, but once you kind of figure life out and figure out that there's more to it, and then if you want to be set up later on for retirement or you want to help your kids later on, you do got to make that change. Mm. So now as, as you're a, a dude living with his wife and daughters on the side of a mountain, in this home that you're building like what other things do you have planned for your homestead like what are you looking to try to do well we already started the chickens the gateway drug to homesteading and uh so we've got those guys going and they just started laying eggs so that's just like monumental really cool first step and uh after the house is kind of in a better state and we're all moved in um i want to really i've been collecting free windows and sliding glass doors i really want to build a gigantic window greenhouse like Roots and Refuge has now. And um, I had that idea, and then I saw his video. I was like, oh, man, just like that. It's going to be awesome. So I want to – and I actually want to heat it. I want to have year-round growing in there. I want to have a little wood stove, and um, hopefully I can make that happen because we can't have year-round growing on a mountain in Virginia. So I want to do that. Um, definitely want to do meat birds and uh, hopefully getting pigs next year and then eventually get into some uh, dairy gr- dairy goats probably nigerian dwarfs um but the whole thing is tied to kind of my flexibility with my job because natalie works from home she's out in the shed recording audiobooks bringing home the bacon and uh, i'm a school teacher and she's already doubling my salary and she's been doing it two years so hopefully eventually we have financial stability and freedom enough that i can start to step away from that full-time work and i think it's every homesteader's dream to stay home and work from home. So some ideas to kind of help make money. I really enjoyed learning about microgreens and I know a lot of people are getting into that right now. And obviously it's very nutritionally sound uh, food source, but I think that especially in the market that I'm in, in Northern Virginia, I think there's a lot of people that should be doing it. And there's a lot of money sitting on the table there for somebody that's got the, the gusto to go and do it. So I've actually already purchased all the supplies, all the grow trays, the racks, the grow lights, all that's ready to go. And I was trying to get it done and set up before the house build started, but now I got to kind of wait until we're living in an actual house to start up that. But I'm hoping to make some some money there. And like I said, Natalie's doing really well with her audiobooks. So eventually I'd like to come home and, you know, be with the animals and raise the food and take care of the kids kind of thing. Mm. But un- until you get to that place, how do you balance it all? Because, you know, are, do you have a long commute and, you know, school teacher hours are, are what they are? Like, how do you make it all kind of come together? I mean, I know you're in the su- coming out of the summer right now. Yeah, well, thankfully, uh, I was still teaching back in Woodbridge. So I was driving an hour and a half to teach middle school. And but we were very blessed. I got a new job at the closest school building to our property here in Front Royal. And uh, so I'm teaching there, and my commute is now 12 minutes instead of 90. So that's an amazing blessing. And now I can come home and, you know, set aside two hours to work on whatever I need to work on. And obviously right now it's it's home building. 
But once the house is ready to go, you know, I'm going to have all those homesteading chores lined up and ready to go and projects building a goat barn and this and that. And I'm, I am close enough to work that I can let out the chickens in the morning and do the feeding and the watering and all that kind of stuff before I even go to work. So, you know, being so close is a huge benefit and I can, I can still fit in the homesteading chores and activities, if you will. Mm. No, that's great. So, so what advice would you have for somebody who's, who's listening to what you guys are doing with building your own home and trying to establish a homestead on a piece of beautiful land that you found? What advice would you have for somebody? I mean, I think it's the cliche, just go for it. You know, it's, it's not easy. Um, so don't ever assume it's going to be easy. I don't think most people do, but you just kind of got to go for it. And you need, if that's your dream, just like any dream that you might have in life, you, you need to find a way to make it happen. And that's where you're going to achieve your true happiness. And so I wanted to get out there and provide for my family and get property. And, you know, a lot of people would say we weren't financially stable at the time. But like I said earlier, you make the sacrifices. You've got to plan ahead and you just got to go for it. And obviously, do your research. Um, <laughs> I've been watching homesteading videos on YouTube for 18 months now and, and learning all about it. And I'm sure there's so much to learn yet. But... I think once you put in the legwork and you've got the ambition to do it, you just got to go for it. So, yeah, I, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I, I, I find it so cool. The idea of a pole barn house just... I don't know. It just strikes me as, as such a great opportunity. And, and so it's, it's really got me personally thinking about what we should be doing here on our farm. Not for the house itself, but as we continue to have plans and, and make decisions around what we're going to do with our outbuildings, uh, taking an approach like Don's might be something we end up doing. Um, if you guys want to learn more about Don, uh, you can actually see the progress of his house build and you can actually see videos of the whole process and, and it'll give you a better sense uh, visually of what's going on. I'll leave a link to his YouTube channel down in the show notes, but if you're looking for it, it's called Little Mountain Life um, and it's just a very cool thing to watch. And if you guys are really curious about our place and what I've been describing here and what it's like to be in an old farm uh, with an old farmhouse, uh, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. It's uh, Goldshaw Farm. We put out uh, two episodes a week on YouTube, so two, two new videos each time. We really try to tell a good story, and uh, yeah, a lot of good things. And I'm also going to use this opportunity on this podcast to make a commercial for you guys who are listening to this uh, in the early days of the release of the podcast. Um, as a lot of you know, we've been raising geese here this summer on the farm, and we're actually just about getting ready to harvest those geese and make them available for sale. Um, they're going to be weighing somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 16 pounds. And so if anybody out there who's listening to this is interested in buying a goose and helping support our farm and helping support our podcast and all the stuff we do, um, shoot me an email at goldshawfarm at gmail.com. Um, I think we're, we're planning on selling them at $5 a pound, if you're curious. The one catch is you actually have to come to our farm to pick them up. Uh, here in, you have to come to the farm here in Peachum, Vermont. Unfortunately, because we are... Um, butchering the animals here on the farm and we're not going to USDA inspected facility because I couldn't find a USDA inspected facility that does waterfowl. 
um, we're going to actually have to only sell them here on the farm. So if you're interested, hit me up with an email and we can figure out a system here. Um, but we are taking orders right now. And, and I guess that's it. That's all we have for the podcast this week. Uh, thanks again for all of you guys who are writing reviews and sharing this podcast with our friends. You know, as I keep looking at the stats here, we keep growing. It's, it's so cool to see this steady drumbeat and to see the, the, the group of people who are really starting to form around this podcast. And I got to say thank you guys. I'm just really appreciative that you're taking the time out of your day to listen to these episodes. And so um, with that, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to play our theme song and close out the show. Thanks. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms. A city life yet had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms.